In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear saints, the gospel lesson for today comes to us from Matthew chapter 5, uh, verses 20 through 26. And Jesus spoke these words during the Sermon on the Mount. And I want to work my way through the text before us, starting with verse 20, where Jesus says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. The predominant teaching in Jesus' day was that you needed to be good enough to earn your way into heaven. And that's basically what the majority of people still think today to some degree. Now, he's talking to those who say, well, if you are good enough, then you have the hope of heaven. If you just do better, then you will have the possibility or the expectation of making it into heaven. Now, this all applies only if you were good. But if you were a bad person or you made some great mistake in your life or you did something that you really regret, then you did not have that possibility, that expectation or hope. It was gone. So that's the context. Now, sinners were flocking to Jesus, listening to his every word. And it wasn't just anybody who was going to Jesus, but people who would be considered bad sinners, right? Notoriously bad people, those with bad reputation and a shameful life. And they were all crowding around Jesus to hear what he had to say. Why do you think that is? It's because Jesus gave bad people hope. He gave sinners the hope that one day they would rest in the loving arms of their dear father in heaven. He gave sinful outcasts the hope that they would not be cast out of heaven. So when the outwardly good people saw and heard this, they thought they had an idea of what Jesus was doing. And what was going on. They thought they knew what Jesus was teaching. So when they saw this, essentially, they said to themselves, well, the reason all of these notoriously bad sinners are all flocking to Jesus and now have hope must be because Jesus is lowering the bar. He's lowering the standard. He's telling them it's easier to get into heaven than it actually is. He's taking away the law. He's nullifying it. He's, he's abolishing it. He's abrogating it. It no longer applies. And that's why they get to go to heaven. So he's lowering the bar so low that even some of the lowliest sinners and people have done some of the most shameful things in their life, they too can make it into heaven. Now, this is how a lot of people think about Jesus still today and the doctrine that he taught. They think that Jesus is an antinomian. I've uh, preached about this word before and told you what that word means. It means someone who is against the law of God, so that he just throws the law away and says, just do whatever you want to do. So that's how a lot of people think about Jesus. They think that is how Jesus gets people into heaven, is by taking away the law. And the truth is, people would rather live that way. They would rather live without the law of God. So I'll give you an example of this. Many times, members leave one church to join another. And sometimes when they leave, they leave because the pastor or a member has called them to repent. 
because they've seen some sort of destructive or dangerous pattern in that person's life that they're spiraling. And maybe the person is lashing out at other members or committing adultery or being abusive or whatever it is. Well, what happens many times is that when that person's sin is pointed out and he is called to repent, oftentimes, instead of repenting, the person simply gets upset or defensive and leaves the church altogether. He leaves not because of what he did, but because he doesn't want to admit it or confess it or do better. And he wants to sweep it under the rug, ignore it, and to keep doing it. And basically, he doesn't want to repent. That's impenitence. Then sometime later, we will hear back from these people, and they'll say something along the lines of, look, I just joined another church, and it's great. And this church is loving, and this church is welcoming, and this church is nice. They welcome everybody. So I want to make a point here. Yes, that may be true. They may welcome everyone. But I can assure you that these churches that welcome the impenitent aren't welcoming everybody by the forgiveness of sins. Rather, they are welcoming everybody by the ignoring of sin. They welcome by excusing sin. And saying that sin is not sin by diminishing it, by allowing it. They welcome everyone by abolishing any need for repentance, any talk of repentance or the forgiveness of sins. So they, they are in fact lowering the bar by taking away the law of God. And these pastors and churches present Jesus in this way that Jesus is uh, someone, he is God, who just doesn't mind or care about sin. It just, it's not a big deal. That Jesus is one who doesn't address with or deal with sin in any way. He simply just makes it disappear. Now, this is a grave misunderstanding of who Jesus is and what he came to do. Just a few verses earlier in verse 17, Jesus himself said, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. He, in other words, don't think I have come to lower the bar or lower the standard. Don't think I've come to erase or take away the Ten Commandments and the law. They still apply. They still apply to you, to the Christian, to everyone in the world. Jesus is saying this because it just so happens that we look for ways to sneak around the law. For some of us, this means leaving and going to another church. But for most of us, we look for ways to read between the lines, right? To find some way that will excuse our dishonesty, our disobedience, our infidelity, our promiscuity, our discontentment. And we oftentimes try to rationalize our behavior and explain it away. We come up with some sort of complicated definition or excuse as to why it's someone else's fault that I did what I did instead of, the, instead of my own. So we look for some sort of cracker opening in the commandments so that we don't have to confess them to be sins. Because in our mind, 
This is, this is what is ingrained in our mind. In order to go into heaven, you need to be a good person. And so the only way out of it in our minds is, well, I can't be a perfect person, so I'll just get rid of the standard of perfection. So the truth is, however, that the commandments are very straightforward and simple. God says what he means. So when God said, do not commit adultery, what he really meant was, do not commit adultery. And when he said, do not steal, what he really meant was, don't steal. And when he said, honor your father and your mother, what he really meant, in spite of all their flaws, in spite of all of their difficulties, what he meant in that was, honor your father and your mother, period. It is that simple, and there is no way around that. Now, after saying that your righteousness must exceed, must be better than that of the Pharisees, Jesus illustrates what he means by this. And he uses uh, just an example. He uses one of the commandments, and uh, for this example, he uses the fifth commandment. And of all the commandments, I think, you would think, you've kept this one, right? You shall not murder. And ask just about anyone, have you murdered someone? Have you killed anyone? No. Uh, everyone thinks they've kept the commandment in this way. Well, Jesus tells us what the fifth commandment entail entails. It's binding not only for our hands, but also for our hearts. And he says, you have heard that it was said of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother, insults his brother, will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. These are Jesus' words. In other words, have you ever been angry with someone? Have you ever insulted anybody, anyone? Have you ever given a nasty look? Have, have you ever sent a harsh text or email or anything? Have you called someone a fool? Have you looked down on your brother? Have you been condescending at all in your life? Have you ever lost your temper? All right, well, according to God, you have not even kept this commandment that everyone thinks they have. Now, I know that going through this, many people hear this and they kind of scoff. Uh, they'll just shake their head and say, okay, this is sort of ridiculous. You're saying that if I've ever been angry at someone or cursed or insulted them, God considers it the same as murder? So this is absurd. Of course I've been angry and everyone has. And if that's the case, then nobody's going to heaven. No, nobody can make it. If, if that is the standard, then nobody has ever made it. Nobody, nobody has ever kept that standard. Well, and this is precisely the point of the text. Jesus is exposing you. He's showing you that you are not as good and righteous as you appear to be. You may look 
put together on the outside. Your hands might have never struck anybody on the face or the back. Your tongue may have never spoken out any ill, but he's saying inwardly, your heart is full of grudges and anger and hatred. Jesus sees it. He knows it. Think about it this way. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, let's take any one of you. Anyone wants to volunteer for this example? <laughs> um, take any one of you and stand here in front of the church. Right? Don't actually do this. But uh, we'll have you stand in front of the church here. And with you standing here, I'll invite a notorious murderer to walk up here and stand next to you as well. And so it's just the two of you there. All right, uh, so you're both gonna have many differences about you. You're gonna appear different. You're gonna obviously look different. But suppose we can take away all of the external things, everything the outside, everything the eye sees. So we can take away your name, uh, your reputation, uh, your history, your body, right? We take away all of your organs, all of these sort of things and so on. And uh, so that, suppose that the only thing that is left here uh, are your hearts. The only thing left to look at are your thoughts. Now, what's in that murderer's heart? I can imagine uh, there's some hate and some revenge, un unresolved problems. Uh, there's some grudges that you could probably see in that heart. Uh, anger, obviously. Bitterness and discontentment, uh, envy, all these sort of things. You can see it in the one heart. Okay, now let's look at uh, your heart. And you tell me, do you think we'd be able to tell the difference? Do you think we would be able to look at these hearts and say, this one's pure. This one has no anger. This one has no hatred. This one has no bitterness. Do you think we'd be able, do you think your heart looks different from that of the murderer? Would your thoughts be more pure than that of the murderer? Do you think that if we looked at your heart, we'd find no trace of hate, not one ounce of vengeance, not a speck of anger, not a moment of discontentment, not a shred of bitterness or envy, not even one grudge there, just waiting to be resolved? You see, you may give off the nice appearance to the world, but God sees your heart. This is what 1 Samuel 16, 7 says. The Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. That is what the Lord will judge. He will judge your heart. Jesus is exposing our hypocrisy and our fake righteousness. He's exposing our attempts to look good to others on the outside, meanwhile inwardly hating and holding grudges against our neighbor. His law doesn't just demand an outward appearance of good. His law demands that you are truly, deeply, and inwardly good to the bottom of your soul. That is the standard. This is what Jesus is exposing. This is what he is showing with these words today. And, and this, is, this is the heart of it. It is not that he is lowering the bar for you to get into heaven. It's that we are. We think of it that way. It's not that he is being lenient with the word of God and the law. It's that we are. 
And this is what the scribes and Pharisees would do. So when Jesus said, uh, he's pointing this out outwardly, they kept the commandments, but inwardly their hearts were impure, full of anger and discontentment. So when Jesus says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. He means very clearly what he says. In order to get into heaven, you must be better than you are now. You must, have a, you must be better than the best person you can think of. He doesn't say that you must be like the scribes and the Pharisees or as good as them. He says you must be far better than them. And it's because their righteousness is not good enough. To look righteous is not true righteousness. To look and appear to be a good person is not enough. They didn't have clean and pure hearts. Well, earlier in the sermon, I read to you Matthew uh, chapter 5, verse 17. Here is the rest of the verse. It says, Do not think, Jesus says, that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And this is the point of the sermon. This is what you need to know the most. Your dear Lord Jesus Christ does not get you into heaven by abolishing the law, but by accomplishing the law for you. He fulfills it. When the Son of God left his throne in heaven to take on flesh, that's when he started to fulfill the law in your stead. Galatians, 4, uh, Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 says, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Why is that? The verse goes on, to redeem those who were under the law. That is you. Since his very first breath, Jesus began to fulfill the Ten Commandments for you. And as he grew up, he not only appeared righteous, but every single thought, word, deed, and desire of his was pure, pure and impeccable without spot or blemish. He never lusted. He never envied. He was never discontent. He, was, he never held a grudge. His heart was pure. He could look at the most beautiful woman and not lust after her, but look at her as if that were her da his daughter. And he would look at her with love and compassion. When he was reviled and spit upon, he forgave. And when he was beaten and mocked, he looked at us with love. While he was being nailed to the cross, he looked at you with compassion. And his eyes were filled with the deepest love for you. His entire life was fulfilling the Ten Commandments. And he finished fulfilling every single one of those commandments when he laid down his life for you. And he gave up his final breath and said, it is finished. And at that moment, he finished the law for you. He completed it. He did exactly what he set out to do, and he came to fulfill it. And so, dear saints, this is how Jesus will get you into heaven, with the blood in his veins. He has given you a righteousness that is greater than that of the Pharisees. You have Jesus' righteousness. You have the goodness of Jesus. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 6 says, This is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Jesus is your righteousness. He exceeds all appearance of righteousness. When the Father, this means when the Father looks at you, 
He does not see your sin. He doesn't see the thousands upon thousands of regrets and sins that haunt you or come to mind. When he looks at you, when he looks at your heart, he sees a perfect and holy and righteous heart, one that has never sinned ever, one that has zero sins attributed to it. He sees a heart filled with love and peace and joy and contentment and compassion. And he sees that your heart and that you are redeemed by the blood of Jesus. Your sin has been covered. Your guilt has been taken away. You need a better righteousness to go into heaven. And Jesus is that righteousness. Romans 3.22 says this righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Jesus does not get you into heaven by excusing or ignoring your sin. He gets you into heaven when you confess your sin and he forgives it. The standard of the law has not been lowered. It has been fulfilled. It has been met for you. So when God has created a clean heart in you, and now that he has renewed a right spirit within you, now that he has brought you into his presence and given you his Holy Spirit and restored to you the joy of salvation, Go and be what you already are in faith. Let the righteousness of Christ be not only in your heart, but in your mouth and hands also. So, what does this mean? Go and drop your grudges and your accusations. Let go of the sins of those who hurt you. Go and reconcile with your brother. Go and forgive him, no matter what was done. Go and find the one who hurt you and come to term quickly with those who you were once at odds with and tell them you are no longer angry with them. Tell them that you love them, that you forgive them and bring peace where you go. Love as God has loved you. Forgive as God has forgiven you. Go and reconcile with others as God has reconciled himself to you in Christ. You have this righteousness that exceeds all others. You have Jesus. Amen. All righteousness by works is vain. The law brings condemnation. True righteousness by faith I gain. Christ's work is my salvation. His death, that perfect sacrifice, has paid the all-sufficient price. In him my hope is anchored. Amen. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.